The title of the message is Grace Changes Everything. This is part two, and I'm really fired up to get into it. So let's read here verse five. We're doing some overlapping here. This is our third study in the first 10 verses here in chapter two. It's incredible. Really looking forward to it. Actually, let's, let's begin in verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by, what's the next word, you guys? Grace. You have been saved, raised up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by, what's the next word, you guys? Grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is incredible. Verse 10, it's all incredible, but we're going to focus a little bit on this too. For we are his workmanship. I mean, so the Father's workmanship, his unique masterpiece, really, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, you may have a seat, you guys, at this time. Hey, just to get our thinking jump started a little bit, let me ask you a question. What do you think? are the greatest realities in life? It's a big, broad question. I mean, what are the most important, significant realities in life? Uh, Interestingly, the Egyptians worshiped the sun. Now, of course, you know, we're not to worship the creation. We're to worship the creator. That's kind of silly to worship the creation over the creator. But, I mean, that's telling us that the Egyptians, of course, recognized the importance of the sun. And so if I ask, hey, what are one of the great realities in life? We got this incredible lamp up there that provides heat and energy and stuff. The sun, that's pretty significant. And of course, today we have unique technological capabilities I mean, can you believe how we can communicate and disseminate information? The question is, you know, what are the great realities of life and significant realities and important realities and and realities of influence? Well, I'm asking you those questions because I want to lead to something. Look, this passage before us tells us what the greatest reality is. Like in the universe, okay, it is this. It is the grace of of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, if I ask you, how does that grab you? Uh, For some, it's like, oh man, I totally know that. To others, you're like, what? (laughs) The grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ? You know, grace, and the title of the message is Grace Changes Everything. You know, grace, the technical definition is a gift, um, you know, favor, unmerited favor. That's the definition of the word itself, but the reality of grace far exceeds the technical definition. Just, it means more than a gift. It means more than unmerited favor. I'm telling you, the reality of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ is the greatest reality in existence. In, in, in the universe, it will outlive the sun, it will outlive our technology. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I mean, he talks about this reality of the grace of God in the ages to come, which tells us that we're moving into eternity. 
that life is linear. We're talking about it. Life doesn't run in cycles like, you know, we just get go from A to B and never get to C. It just burns up. No. It's like God creates us and, and, and we live forever. And in Christ, we, we, it's going to be ages after ages of e- into eternity. And the reality will be the reality of Almighty God and our standing in Christ by the grace of God. Now, listen. Just a little warm-up here before we look at the text. That means the most reasonable thing, you guys, the most reasonable thing to do this morning, okay, and, and to like redo this morning is actually to believe and to put your faith in the grace of God in Christ. Now, for believers, we've already done that. But we're to redo that over and over and over again. I mean, faith in Jesus Christ is totally reasonable. I mean, Romans chapter 12 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your, can someone tell me, reasonable service. Oh, watch this. Um, You see, everybody, whether they're a Christian or not, everybody operates and lives their life by faith. Now, I'm not talking necessarily biblical faith or the belief of who the Lord is, but bear with me. I'm talking about everybody lives by faith. So if I say the most reasonable thing to do is actually to put your faith and to believe and to have your heart and your mind and your outlook informed by the truth of God, and by, by grace itself, and that's the most reasonable thing to do. Someone might say, and we talked about this last week, well, you know, faith is, you know, to be frank with you, I'm not so, I don't know if I'm kind of the faith type because it has to do with superstition or things that you can't see or the divine or things that are way bigger than I can wrap my mind around and stuff. You know, the idea of faith kind of carries a lot of baggage. But, but, but please hear me, the reality is, is that all of us are informed by belief and faith in one way, shape, or form. The question is, what do we base our faith and belief on? Because none of us actually, whether it's choosing an ice cream cone or what college we're going to go to or who we're going to marry, none of us make those choices based on full disclosure. None of us base those choices on the findings of the scientific method. And therefore, because I just totally know it's an absolute certainty, I'm going to marry this person, I'm going to have this ice cream cone and choose that college. No, that doesn't, that's not how life works. And so this means that every day we experience a type of vulnerability in the decisions that we make that then have the potential to certainty. Like, I think I'll have that ice cream. I, I think it will be good and I'm really hoping it's going to be good. Oh, it's really good, you know. That's really good. because oh, So that belief, a little bit of uncertainty, oh, it's awesome. The most compelling basis to establish our faith, our life, our belief is on the grace of God in Christ. Why is that? Let's answer that. There's three main points, I'll get to it. Look at verse five, go back to verse five. Check this out, a lot of details, guys. Let's answer why grace changes everything, why it's the greatest reality of all. Go back to verse five, it says, even when we were, what's the next word, you guys? Dead, all right, in trespasses. Now this has given us kind of a before picture of who we were prior to Christ. It is totally self-evident, totally totally, um, reasonable. 
It's not saying we were dead physically or psychologically or sociologically or even morally. What it's telling us is, please hear me, before Jesus Christ came into our life, I mean, God was dead to us. I mean, I have a dear friend who I love so much, but he will, he's told me basically, I did a relationship with God I do not have. So it's like the relationship, disconnect, there's, there's no life there. And prior to coming to the Lord, it's a simple point, but it's really important to make. None of us could say that real relationship with the true and living God, personal, like he knows me and I know him, was really at play. It wasn't. We were dead in sins, trespasses, weakness, sins. That's what it speaks of. Trespasses, intentional, stepping outside of God's boundaries. It's created separation. But here's the good news. Check it out. He made us alive together, together, wow, with, what's the next word? Christ, whoa. Look up here for a second. These details are very important. Right now, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, what that is saying is your chief identity that, that informs your life in the here and now and forever really is that you are in Christ positionally right now. Even though it's like you don't see him or you're walking in companionship, you know, like seeing him you know, face to face or in some bodily form, actually you've been made alive together with Christ. And look at verse six, raised us up together. I just want you to see these details, fantastic picture there. And, and he actually made us to sit together in heavenly places. We talked about this last week, but the idea of, of you know, being seated speaks of identity. And, and that's already taken place, the idea that God's actually, well, Christ is alive. He conquered the grave. He ascended to heaven. He is the king. Okay, he made us alive to have relationship with him. Speaking of position here, we've been raised up. It's like we are with Christ right now. Positionally, We're in Christ. And not only right now, but actually our position in Christ is for eternity. Look what verse seven says, that in the ages to come, it's like he might show the exceeding riches of his, what's the next word, you guys? Grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And what this is telling us is that we all share Okay, hear this like you've never heard it before. We all share in what Christ accomplished. We all share in it right now and who he is. Now, let me try to illustrate this. Look, every Sunday, hundreds of thousands of people file into stadiums all throughout our country. I mean, right now, like, I think the 49ers are playing, right, somewhere. Are they playing at home? No, they're not playing at home. They're playing somewhere, right? And you have like 65, I'm sure, thousands of people in that stadium, whoever they're playing. And this is happening right now all around our country. And what you have people doing, gathering, watching a football game is, hear this now, they are, they are hoping for some sense of transcendence. It's true. <laughs> they have their faces painted They're wearing jerseys of their favorite players. 65,000 fans are screaming at the top of their lungs. Like, you know, they kick off the ball and everybody's just euphoric and stuff. And you you hear people saying, we are going to win this. 
I mean, this is going to be our year, you know. And it's like, we? Are you on the team? We? Our year and stuff? I mean, the we language is transcendence. I mean, we're going to do it. I mean, in other words, I am here. And part of the reasons I'm here is because I want to experience something and feel something much bigger than myself. I want to feel like I'm a winner. I want I I I that experience of, of being a part of something much bigger than myself. And I'll tell you what, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, quarterback, 49ers, number seven jersey, hey, I think I'll go buy one. And I'll wear it. And I'll take it to the stadium. And I'm not mocking this, by the way. I think it's kind of cool. But anyways, I'm going to wear it to the stadium. And if he throws a touchdown pass, you know, in some way, shape, or zone, I know this is kind of weird, but I feel like I had a good day too. You know what I mean? I mean, my percentages were good. I got out of the pocket well. I made the right decisions and stuff. I mean, we're talking. The, we're talking deep down that every human being, it's just, it, you see it in stadiums every week, are really... Longing for transcendence. C.S. Lewis said, look, all the things that ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of heaven. I mean, tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, and Super Bowls don't really satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Watch. You know what grace is? (laughs) It's like you could break it down, acronym form, G-R-A-C, God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, Grace is this incredible plan that God established before the foundation of the world. The Father, by the way, that was clearly demonstrating the person of Jesus Christ, who just demonstrated the greatest love you could ever demonstrate, who, who resurrected, who ascended, and everything is moving towards his kingdom. And he is so wonderful and he's so gracious. Please hear me. He like gives you his jersey. And every believer here has his, you have the Lord's number on right now. It's like, okay, the idea is, here's the first point. Jesus won, you won. And it's like much bigger than, golly, anything happening in stadiums. I'm telling you, a lot of what people are after in stadiums, I'm not trying to knock it at all, is transcendence. Is this a feeling a part of something much bigger than ourselves? You talk about scratching the itch for transcendence. To transcend is to be a part of something greater. I mean, Man, man, there's nothing like grace. And why doesn't that just like blow us away? It could be as simple as we just don't spend time thinking about it. That's why I just don't want our church not thinking about it during the holidays. Don't lose the awe of Christmas. I mean, I mean, you, you, you don't... You don't, you don't give your mind or your heart or your attention just simply to the Lord. That could be one of the main reasons why. Please hear me. That just this idea that, you know, you don't have Kaepernick's number on your back today. It's like, you are in Christ. That is really big. He won it on the cross. He won it in his resurrection. He won it in his ascension. Everything is moving towards him. That's the greatest reality of all is the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And, and the reason why that's not maybe alive to me, it could be an absence of worship where I'm very serious that the truths, even what we're singing about this morning, is, is not like aligning with my heart and with my mouth and vice versa. And I'm like in the moment. It could be because we're just preoccupied with, I don't know, getting our car repaired or a busy holiday season. I mean, you can better understand why Paul, in the earlier chapter, remember this? He actually prayed for the Ephesians, for their eyes to be open to the power that is ours in Christ. He didn't pray, hey, I'm going to pray for you for more power. Oh, my goodness gracious. Do you understand? <laughs> You're wearing the jersey already. I mean, you, oh, my goodness, you are in Christ. He doesn't say, I'm going to pray that you would just, you know, just have more power. No, he's praying that their eyes will be open, that like Jesus won it, and because of that, you won it. And that just your eyes would be open to the greatest reality of all, that our hearts are super longing for you guys, and that is not so much creative creative things, but the creator himself, that's what our hearts are really after. The glory we were made for is not something, it's a him. It's him. Hey, you know what, you know what sin is? Technically, sin is two things. One, sin, S-I-N, equals, it's missing the mark that by nature we're weak, we need help. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's sin. Two, trespasses, intentional stepping over the line of God's original design. I mean, I, I know it's right, and I'm still just doggone it. I'm not going to embrace it. Now, that's intentional. A lot of our sins are because of weakness, and of course, well, hopefully not a lot of our sins are because of trespasses. But listen, sin is a form of insanity. I mean, what is insanity? I mean, it's being out of touch with reality. And what is the greatest reality of all? It's the grace of God in Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Let me share with you the alternative to grace and all that it means. The alternative is I live with unrealistic expectations. I want the here and now to behave as if it's my final destination. And that leads to just focusing way too much on myself. And I end up asking way too much of other people as well, making them almost ultimate things to give me what only God can give me. I end up a controlling person and even a fearful individual. Because even while I maybe would write a bucket list, which can help me identify some goals in life, it's based on a false premise. It's based on the false premise that when I hit the bucket, it's done. No, when we like, hit the bucket as believers, if, you know, when we die, our last breath on planet Earth is going to be our first in heaven forever, serving the king. And a lot of times those bucket lists are so selfish. It's just like, well, you know what, I'm going to play golf all the time. I mean, wait a second, you've got so much to give, you 60-year-old, you know, to the glory of the king. It's like if I lose sight of grace, I lose sight of reality. I even begin to question the goodness of God. I tend to live with the consumer mentality of right now when in fact I'm a part of something much bigger than myself, the glory of God. I end up lacking motivation and hope when the reality of grace says, 
hey, the, even though we live in a broken world, I mean, he's come to fix it, so there's real hope. With the reality of grace, I, I have a reason actually to continue, to get back up, because it's like this life is not the only reality that exists. It's gonna transition into the ages to come. And what I do for the Lord is like, that's gonna last forever, love and forgiveness and making Christ known and being a hus- godly husband, a godly wife and you know, serving the Lord. I mean, those are the things that last, you see. But it, look, here's the thing. If, if I don't get it that he won, that I won, I got the jersey, if you will, not to be silly, but who my, what my identity really is, listen, that's a, that's, a, that's a form of insanity. I mean, without the greatest reality of all, the grace of Christ in view, I live as if there are no consequences. That's not true. Life is linear. It's moving towards the king. And maybe we could better understand what C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. It's true. Hey, we need to ask ourselves, is who we are by design in Christ demonstrating itself in our lifestyle? My goodness, are we living like he won? That's such an important question, because he did. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, we lose that all, you guys, the awesomeness of God, we're in trouble. Grace changes everything. Hey, number two, it's up on the screen. God's plan in Christ, this is awesome, is a gift from start to finish, I love it. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And this is where we get at verse eight. Look at it with me again, very important. For by grace, you have been saved, this love rescue. It's through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Whoa, even faith, that is the door by which grace is received, is a gift from God. It's all a gift. It all comes from him. Now, I talked about earlier that everybody operates with some faith. I mean, it is, a, an, it is a form of faith to say, I think the 49ers are gonna re- reach the playoff, but this is a different faith, of course. This is a faith and belief in the greatest realities of all, and that's the person and work of Jesus. This belief is the belief that puts its weight on grace that is totally reasonable. Now, here's where I want us to put our thinking caps on, okay? Why God's plan in Christ is a gift. It's just, he's just, it's a phenomenal gift from the Father in Christ. Why it is, and I just want us to reason this out just a little bit. It has all to do with the fact that God is glorious in grace. He's glorious in his love and his majesty. But in the process, it provides an accurate view of who we are. And it kind of gets back to the before picture. I love what Pascal said. I think I have his quote up here. It's a great quote. He says, grace is indeed required to turn a man into a, can someone tell me? Saint. Oh, for sure. And saint means sanctified one, cleansed of sin, right before God. Every Christian is a saint. But man, grace is absolutely essential. And he who doubts this does not know what either a man or a saint is. Oh, it's grace and it's a gift. Believe me, from start to finish. Now let's be reasonable. We all fall short of God's righteous standards. Everybody knows that. We don't even uphold our own standards. Just check with me, watch. We also, 
at times, unfortunately, intentionally step out of line with what is right. How many of you believe that? Just raise your hand real quick, okay? Everybody on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's where it gets fuzzy with people. Because I think if you went out in the streets and say, hey, look, um, you know, can I ask you something? Do, do you have... You know, you have certain standards, yeah, of justice, yeah, of righteousness, yeah, of mercy, yeah, love, yeah. I mean, everybody has standards. I mean, your own standards, personally, of what you eat and so forth and so on. All right, let me ask you, do you fall short of those standards? I, I think the majority of people say, yeah. I mean, I don't even uphold my own standards. Got it. Let me ask you this, because everybody has some form of standards, but God is the right standards, but do you intentionally step over the line sometimes? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm on a diet, I should be eating good, better food, but I just like scarf this one pound thing of chocolate or something. Doesn't that sound good? Anyways, you know, step over the line. Got it. Got it. Okay. Here's where it gets fuzzy. I don't think our culture you know, would argue that man is a sinner and intentionally does dumb, stupid things. Where, where they would argue is what it really means by nature and what are the consequences. And the Lord says these consequences are monstrous. I mean, sin is defying infinite justice. The ramification is much bigger than we could ever really know. In fact, I really believe only Jesus really knows because he bore sin and shame upon himself. Now keep your thinking caps on. We know there is such a thing as moral beauty, perfect righteousness, purity, holiness. I mean, the Greeks, just generally speaking, called it logos, these eternal realities of beauty and and holiness and purity and virtue. John comes along and says, hey, these are not just ideas that are eternal, more specifically, what what you really should be thinking about in terms of what's eternal is Almighty God, who is holy and perfectly beautiful and morally righteous. But here's the thing, okay, just thinking caps on. We all know these things that give moral beauty and righteousness and justice. We can't think of what does not exist. And we we can think of pink elephants, but pink exists and elephants exist. And it's because we're creating the image of God we think in these ways. I mean, God made us in his image and we know righteousness and justice do in fact exist. Hear me. Now, just because we fall short doesn't mean we do away with what is right. No, it's been God's plan from eternity that our relationship with him would actually not be based on our performance, but a gift he provided. It goes back to chapter one that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, still retaining the highest standard of what is right. It's like, I know there's moral beauty. I know that of righteousness and justice. How many of you, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking, right? We know these things exist. Just because we fall short of them doesn't mean just, okay, I'm just gonna rewrite what moral beauty is. Rewrite righteousness. No, 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 no. The good news is the basis of our relationship with God is not based upon our performance in those areas. It's totally based upon the person and work of Christ. It is a gift which is our only hope, but, but, He never wants us to do away with what is right. He's working it in our hearts and lives. I mean, look, if you interject the idea of marriage real quick, let me just get through this. I think this is important we address, okay? The form and body of original design of marriage is incredible. It's the most deep, abiding, beautiful relationship on a human level. Now, all of us in one way, shape, or form have experienced 
you know, devastation in a marriage, in our families, and it's painful, and I'm so, so sorry if you've experienced that. Okay, here's my point, though. Just because, you know, there, there hasn't been the, the living out of original design in marriage as God has intended doesn't mean we just do away with the form of marriage, right? No. I mean, we sound like we re- remake it just because, you know, it, it hasn't been something that's been a monster blessing for some. It, it ended in a divorce. No, we, we don't remake it. I mean, of course, it's being kind of trying to be remade in our generation, right? I mean, just because maybe some haven't experienced the best that God has intended. I mean, in our generation, you have those who are saying, okay, well, let's just remake it and make it a same-sex thing. That's not a good idea, right? And it's not God's idea. Some of them might say, well, my God would never say that's so stupid. Well, listen, to sit there and say, my God would never say that, my God would take a stand against same-sex marriage, my friend, that God you're talking about is you. Because there is such a thing as original design. Can I hear an amen to that? And listen, very important, because these are big issues you're going to hear in the public you know, square, when it, listen, you got to understand something. When it came to sexual purity, and I'm leading to a point here, okay, when it came to sexual purity, Jesus not only upheld the Levitical law, but he actually raised the standard of sexual purity, saying it all begins from the inside out. So believe me, he was totally for the original design of marriage, no doubt about it. There's not a greater reality than the grace of God in Christ. Look, we live in a broken world. Everybody, whether they have, okay, same-sex attraction or heterosex attractions, every single person needs the grace of God in Christ, needs his help and his healing and his redemption. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Grace even though it's redemptive and healing and it's what we need because this is a broken world, broken by sin, okay? Grace is actually threatening because when you receive grace, you lose control actually, which is a good thing. Jesus says, my goodness, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Grace is favor given to someone who deserves the opposite and therefore real grace, whenever it's offered, it's actually threatening. How many of you, let me try to illustrate, how many of you have seen the play or the movie Les Miserables? Could you raise your hand real quick? Okay, many of you. You know, Jean Valjean was a person who had been misused and oppressed and abused, had become a criminal. You know the story, right? But listen, he was self-righteous. I mean, even though he had been abused and he just experienced all the brokenness in the world and stuff and in his own life, had a heavy heart and stuff, he was a self-righteous man. He was going around ripping off other people, feeling superior to other people. But all that changed when he was questioned by the police for possessing some very expensive silverware that he had ripped off. And when the police asked the Christian bishop just beating up the story, from whom Valjean stole from about the silverware, the bishop covered Valjean and said, oh no, actually, it was a gift. I actually gave him this. And Valjean was at a turning point. He could stick with his pride, like, you know what? He does, yeah, I did steal it, rest me, you know, I'm gonna work my way out of this. Kind of self-righteous, arrogant pride thing. Or he could just humble himself, just go, man, I, I need help outside of myself. And this guy's offering it to me. He's offering me grace. 
He accepts grace. He loses control, but in doing so, he finds life. In the musical, he says, my soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. Man, I, oh, it's grace is redemptive. It's healing. It's the greatest reality of all. Can I hear a big amen to that? But anyone who says, oh, I need it. Now, now you have the Lord of glory who now is the manager of your life, which is a great thing. He's gonna save you from yourself and he continues to do that in our life because we're all still under construction. Okay, 10 more points, just kidding. One more point, watch this, it's up on the screen. A Christian, I love this, is God's masterpiece of grace. You know what, the Bible says this. We're his masterpiece of grace created for good works. Please look at verse 10, and we're gonna have to come back to this next week and really hone on a little bit more. But it says, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. My goodness, we are the Father's workmanship created in, can someone tell me? Christ, Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean? The Greek word for workmanship literally means that which has been made, a work, a making, and sometimes it's even translated a poem. However, the Greek poema meant any work of art. So it can mean a statue or a song or architecture or a poem or a painting. Okay, look up here for a second. Watch this, watch. This is so incredible. I mean, this is who you are in Christ. Watch this. You are his his work of art. I'm not really an artist, but I've been around artists. I, I don't want to take too much time. I, many years ago, Greg Laurie sent me all of his sermons. So awesome. <laughs> so when I would study his sermons and all of his work, I thought, my goodness gracious, you know what he is? He's an artist. Sure enough, he's a graphic artist, but the details, the details, the nuances in his sermons and the words, his diction, and how concise and colorful he was. I, and I, said, I had dinner with him one time, and I said, Greg, let me, let me just ask you, you know, you're preaching. Um, you're an artist, aren't you? Yep, that kind of explains it. I mean, the details are awesome, and transitions, how he builds stuff, just beautiful stuff. Detail, 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 lots of detail. If the Lord is saying to a believer, you are... You are his workmanship. I mean, the implication of that is so incredible. His work of art, as F.F. Bruce says. His masterpiece. We are God's work of art. And I don't think there's any more excited description of a believer in all of scripture. Watch this. His work of art is not the universe, which is incredible. And his work of art is not even the birth of a baby, a human being. I mean, that, that's an incredible physical wonder and we're creating the image of God clearly, but it's his recreation of that human being in Christ that is his work of art. Oh, I've said this before, but I got to hold our newest grandson, John Paul Denham. I was telling my dad about this. I think I've told the church family this, you know, kind of a long story short, but 
you know, these babies, they are so, they weigh, they're just like, you know, eight pounders, nine pounders, whatever, they're light. But as I've gotten older, to hold a baby, it doesn't even have to be my grandchild, that child is heavier than, is heavy. It's like I'm thinking, I think of John and Greg, little baby Greg, I'm thinking this is going to be a father, this is going to be a grandfather, this is going to be, I'm just thinking of all the, I, I'm thinking of just this child is taking in all this information and the incredible complexity of his eyes and brain, I mean, it's just registering everything. Scientists will say the greatest mechanism in the universe is the human brain, and I'm just, I mean, I, I mean, it was awesome holding our babies at 23, 24, 25, and 30, and 30, whatever, you know, for me, but uh, as I get older, just the weight, it's like this eight pounder, all of a sudden is like, this is a million pounds of value and beauty. It's just incredible. I think about it in Christ, you are, you are actually, you are actually a masterpiece. You are work of art. You are his creation and recreation. And the details that are going into your life are phenomenal. If I ask, well, like, who, who are you? I mean, who, who are you? I mean, you got this debate. Well, who we are is, is, is based upon nature, our chromosomes, physiology. Or who we really are is based upon, um, you know, nurture, environment, Right? That's who we realize, how we grew up, where we grew up, and so forth. Uh, and there's a debate between the two, and, and really it's both, but it's even more than that. I mean, look, physiologically, I, 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 I didn't choose my parents, I didn't choose, I didn't choose my height, I didn't choose my gender, I didn't choose my IQ. Uh, I don't even know if I'd be smart enough to choose my IQ. Anyways, uh, I didn't choose my troubles, my race, my ethnicity. Look, neither did you. And we didn't even choose the grace of God. It was given to us. So if we ask, well, like, who are you really? (laughs) God has used very unique brushes, very unique chisels and hammers and, and genetics and chromosomes and environment. Oh, yeah, and the grace of God. I'm telling you, he's making a beautiful masterpiece. Timothy Keller said, everything that's gone into your life so far, not only the good things, but listen, even the bad things. God, the great artist, if you're a Christian, has brought them in there to turn you into a unique masterpiece, a unique flower in his garden, a unique diamond in his crown. There are people only you can help. I mean, there are good deeds only you can do. There are deeds of compassion only you can perform. I mean, there are people whose lives only you can change. Why? Because everything that's gone into your life, every hammer of the chisel, even your troubles, even the terrible things that have happened to you, even the tragedies, even the things that you have learned, the things the word uh, has brought, the things that the spirit has brought, have turned you into a unique person to do things in the kingdom work only you can do. And behind it all, is the most awesome father who is a perfect trainer. He's awesome. And he's the one that chose you before the foundation of the world. Look, I'm telling you, the most important reality to put your faith, your belief, and the Lord values faith and belief. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
Yet all who received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, no one has sins forgiven. No one goes to heaven. No one has peace until there's faith in Jesus. I mean, everyone is making choices of belief and faith. Um, we, none of us, none of us know everything. None of us base our decisions on full disclosure. We're all operating with faith in one way, shape, or form. Look, the most reasonable thing to do is put your faith, your life, your dreams, your hopes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Grace changes everything. And it tells us finally that God's plan this gift from start to finish. Can you see it now? It's not, not of works. It's nothing I do. Oh my goodness. It's all what he's done. I receive it simply by faith, which I don't add any value to it. Okay, I'm not saved, rescued, blessed in the plan of God by works, but I am saved for works to his glory. Can I hear an amen to that? Let me just say this. Look, some of you are so close this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're here for the first time. You've come many times, but you're so close. Don't pack up yet. You're so close to, for Christ to come into your life and, to, and look, for you to be raised up. What a picture. With him. Like, in Christ positionally, now, and for the ages to come, because everything is moving towards him. Can I hear a big amen to that? But he won't force himself on you. I mean, is, this, is today the day that the Lord wants you to open his heart to him? Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Today, if you hear the voice of God, harden not your heart. I mean, the incredible Father in heaven who's reached out to us and his son just loves you with everything. Loves you, loves you, totally loves you. Loves you with everything. But he won't force himself. He, or he's not gonna violate your will. You, 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 have to, you have to believe. You have to respond. You have to open the door. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone would hear my voice and open the door. Watch this. Uh, he said he will come in. It's a metaphor, but he does literally come in to our lives. And that can happen for you this morning. And I'm going to give you an opportunity for that to happen for you. Hey, you know, we were singing earlier about like knowing him just to know Jesus. That one lyric was so beautiful at the end, just to know him. And, and then we started this message and we said, you know, let's go for it. Let's like know him. You know, let's do it. Hey, let's continue to 